and welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Leonid Frolov for this first half of the conversation he and I had back in December of 2020. Uh, to meet Leonid is to fall in love with Leonid, and to get to know him is just to fall farther and farther in love with the man. He's incredible in more ways than I can name. And I trust that by the time this first half of our conversation is over, you too will have fallen in love with him. And, and in this first half of our conversation, he talks about growing up in Soviet Russia and tells a story of waiting in line for grain all day, by the way, and uh, uh, faced with an opportunity to create magic and memories from just about nothing. He also digs into the influence that his parents had on him, specifically his mother's influence in terms of developing acceptance and resilience, and his father for teaching him to love the natural world. There's a whole lot more to this. I won't spoil it for you. Just a quick reminder before we get into it. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's dive in with Leonid Frolov and I. Enjoy. Leonid Frolov, welcome for joining me here on Mojo for the Modern Man. It's great to have this time with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Thanks for saying yes. So let's start here. What was it like growing up in your part of the world? Yeah, um, I was. I've been thinking about it. So how do I bottom line that? Um, you don't have to. The good news is you don't have to bottom line it. I'll bottom line first, and I will kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, so it was so many things. Uh, and it was never boring. That's that's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was really, um, truly, many, many things. Um, uh, lots of joy and happiness and surprise and and uh, and sorrow and despair, um, and um, you know, the world and the family was so different from the world outside and it was sometimes hard to connect those two. Um, but overall, I would say um, it was very interesting. It was really, really interesting. A lot happened when I was growing up there in the, the Soviet Russia. <laughs> yeah, and Soviet Russia uh, was a big place. So where? where? Um, I was born in... Um, uh, grew up in the area of Ural Mountains on the western side, which is European part of Russia. Um, uh, kind of like in the middle of it, um, in the middle of it in the steppes. And um, and then I moved to St. Petersburg when I turned 17. And that's where I lived um, most of my adult life in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And... I've heard stories of your childhood that you've shared elsewhere and yeah, share a few stories about life at home as a, as a, really as a child, mm -hmm. if you would. Yeah, of course. Um, well, one story that kind of stands out and uh, um, I, I, I just love that story. It warms, my, uh, warms up my heart every time I, I 
uh, think about it. Um, and I was a kid, and I remember it was a time <laughs> when the first, uh, when the cosmonaut um, Gagarin uh, flew to space. Let's see, that was 1961. So I was, I was four. Um, everybody was so happy, ecstatic, celebrating. And I was, <laughs> I was uh, my mom told me I was uh, standing in the middle of the room and I was looking almost grumpy. And so she asked me, it's like, what's up with you? And I said, I don't understand why we need to fly up there pointing up. Why we have so much work to do over here. <laughs> and this is as a four-year-old. four-year-old. It's like, how did I have that awareness? Apparently, growing up in the family where we had these conversations all the time, and adults treated us as uh, almost equal all the time. I guess, God, I got this um, uh, fairly adult awareness at the age of four. Um and it really helped to kind of navigate life and uh, uh, built a lot of resilience knowing, it's like knowing what was going on around us. And um, it's a one story that I love um, in the 60s when Khrushchev came up with this absolutely just a crazy idea um, to create abundance. First to ration everything and then it's like store it somewhere and it's like, boom, just, you know, put it on the market and everybody would be happy. So during that time, I remember um, we had only so many grams um, of um, flour to buy per person in the family, to, uh, per member in the family, for example. Uh, like so much grain, so much this and that. And, uh, and my, my parents were furious about it, um, but kind of never complained. And I remember one day, um, there was announced, it was announced that um, one store would be selling flour. And my mom baked a lot. It was easy to feed the family of six, you know, just baking, baking. Um, but we had to, everybody had to show up in person. So they would give so many kilos per person uh, per member in the family. So, so you had to, just to, just to, to put, put a frame around this and create a visual of this. You had to show up in person, so each every member of your family had to be present in order to get an accurate count. Is that is that part of what I'm hearing? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would just say, "Okay, that's your family. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, good. This is how many kilos you get." <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how it was. And it was July. It was it was really hot, so we had to stand outside because like there was. Got so many people there, they could not fit everybody in the in the store. So we stood there until um late afternoon, actually. And it was we had to we had to stay. And uh, um and I remember uh, my my parents were telling some stories, and at some point my mom just kind of created a shade for me because I was the I'm the youngest in the family, I was a kid. And the family right before us, right before us, got the last kilo. Mm. So, um, and my mom just turns around and goes, okay, well, we have, uh, we have some young potatoes actually. And, uh, um, and I think the pick, uh, pickled, um, mushrooms are already good. So how about we just go and boil potatoes and open a can of mushrooms and have dinner. And, uh, so we went home and, um, and then um, we had a really wonderful dinner. 
a lot of laughter. My middle brother, he's a truly like a, a naturally born comedian. Um, and um, after dinner, we did something that we loved. It was um, our favorite pastime as family. Uh, my mom and dad would pick up a book that was interesting for all ages. I don't know how they did it. <laughs> so, and, uh, and they would read it out loud. So my mom knew one book that was just so hilarious. It was so funny. I will never forget how hard we laughed. I was like, really, like uh, literally rolling on the floor. My, my stomach was aching and we didn't go to bed until like midnight. So I remember, <laughs> remember that day as one of the happiest days in my, uh, in my life. <laughs> and so, so standing for hours on the line, waiting for grain, being the, the, the next in line when the grain ran out. So there was yeah. nothing there to take with you and your mother just doing a beautiful job of, it sounds like, normalizing the experience, not making a big deal of it, and just creating a, 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 a memorable family celebration out of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my siblings and I uh, oftentimes uh, go back in our memory and we talk about that day and we just laugh even today because we do remember the story that <laughs> our parents read. It was really funny. Um, and I learned so much. I keep learning from that experience. Um, it was um, interesting. Uh, awareness um, of the situation and also acceptance. Uh, just acceptance and creating our own life. Kind of like, yeah, that was really amazing how my parents did that. Yeah. So <laughs> it is truly like one of my, one of the happiest days in my life. <laughs> so the creation of a peak experience out of that out of that whole circumstance yeah yeah truly truly yeah oh and yeah and on the way back home um there were some uh, uh jasmine shrubs and um so my um my mom and dad they were very much into nature and said oh actually wow it's it's jasmine it's blooming it makes amazing tea and we're like, really? It's like, oh yeah. So we all just gonna pick the flowers and like went home. It's like, mom, can we just make tea? And like, it smelled amazing. It was like the first time I tasted jasmine tea, fell in love with it. <laughs> so <laughs> and it was part of the whole experience. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, that's a that, that is that is a, I don't know how else to say it. Just a, what an amazing story of creating magic from in many ways creating magic from nothing yeah yeah <laughs> and, and everything at the same time exactly exactly yeah so you have other stories you know so and how how old were you at the time um i think i was probably like 8 or 9 at that time yeah yeah so 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 not a super little kid but you know a, a slightly a slightly larger little kid yeah yeah so what um what what called you to St Petersburg um it's hard to tell actually it's hard <laughs> i really i i don't remember at which point i decided to go to St Petersburg i knew that i wanted to study geology i loved uh rocks and i loved nature um and um, 
So Infiniburn has one of the largest, uh, I mean, oldest and um, uh, famous um, schools in the world, actually, and was founded by Catherine the Great. And I knew about that. And I just wanted to go there uh, for the tradition and um, not necessarily for the fame of it, but something is like for the experience and also to experience St. Petersburg. Uh, it was called Leningrad at the time. Um, so two things, I think, uh, pulled me forward. Uh, it's a uh, um, love for geology and wanting, wanting to get probably the best experience um, and also to um, experience fully uh, my other passion for arts. Uh, and uh, St. Petersburg is absolutely just stunning. It's it just, it's such a gem. So that's, um, at the age of 17, I um, ended up in St. Petersburg. Yeah. And uh, and that's when you start, actually, when you started your university education? Yeah. 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 I trust you're enjoying your time here with Leonid Frolov and myself. And just a reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Let's jump back in. Um, you have other stories. I, uh, I know when you and I were speaking, setting this up, there was the it was actually the first time I'd ever heard you tell a story about your uh, about your dad. And I know that you've said many times, like both of your parents had an enormous influence. And if you look at, if you look at both of them, you know, what, what, what influence would you say each has had on you? Yeah. Um, my mom, uh, she truly, <laughs> um, coached me resilience. I mean, it's, I just learned a lot about resilience and acceptance from my mom um, and, and creating magic uh, from any, any situation. Um, and my, my dad, um, he, um, I love nature and he actually kind of, uh, he, he was just, I think it was, his temple, like nature, like going into the into the woods or going by the river or the, or the lake, and he just showed up um, so beautifully. And he taught us so much about nature. Um, so that's his biggest influence on me: um, connection to nature, appreciating nature. Um, actually, my mom also experienced that um, influence on my dad. So that's uh, um, the, the biggest influence, I would say. What, and what was it like going out into the natural world with him? Um, it was amazing. It's like he was like a kid. He was a, a, like a kid and also like a wizard. He just knew everything. <laughs> he would just ask us like, wow, what is that bug? He would just tell me everything, what that bug was. Or he knew all the mushrooms and he, um, he knew like which ones are good, which ones are not. And, um, and he talks about talked about nature um, um, when he talked about nature, he kind of sounded very humble. I remember that feeling. It's like, you know, uh, we're just so lucky to, to be here, so to speak. And, you know, that's, that's the feeling I got. Like, just be gentle and like slow down. He would always tell us like, you know what, when you are, when you're in the nature, just be quiet, 
and you'll hear nature speaking. Trees are talking, of course, birds are singing. But if you said, you know, if you stay quiet long enough, you'll hear even more. So and I was like, wow, what else can I hear? So we just like stay there quiet or like sitting by the lake. And, and sure enough, it's like starts hearing things like, you know, fish, you know, somewhere like splashed or a, a duck just took off and you know, all kinds of magical things. And, and what did he, what kind of work did he do? Um, he was a geologist as well. So he, ah. he was a geologist. So that's how we got the bug. Um, all my siblings got trained. Uh, I mean, they went to, uh, to college and studied geology and um, all of them worked as geologists. Geologists. And um, my dad was absolutely passionate about it. He would talk about rocks as like people. <laughs> Actually, he talked about rocks more than people. He <laughs> 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 never talked about people, actually, but he always talked about rocks and birds and animals and trees and grass. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining some uh, listeners now, some listeners saying, geez, you know, I wish my family talked more about rocks than people. Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> 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 refreshing conversation yeah. Uh, yeah yeah beautiful and 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 yeah and um there's one particular story that i that i've heard you tell many times that i think it, it that i think is so uh well it speaks so much to your the nature of your your mom and if you're willing to to tell it the story of your coming to terms with your own sexuality and a system that would not well, that refused to in any way come to terms with your own sexuality you wouldn't mind if you if you don't mind telling that story i think there's just such huge learning and it's a gift thank you yeah let me take a deep breath <laughs> yeah take your time yeah yeah, so, um, yeah, that story um, um, had a huge impact on me, um, and um, uh, truly uh, revealed a lot for me. Uh, when I uh, just started realizing that um, my um, sexual desires were not so common and uh, um, uh, widely accepted, I, I was just curious. Um, it's like what's what's happening with me? It's like what's what's going on? And at that time, there was no information about uh, sexuality, about gay, lesbian. There was no information whatsoever. It wasn't even in the language. People didn't know how to talk about it. Um, so I was I was I was curious. It's like wow. It's like who am I? What's happening with me? It's like how I'm going to uh, live this life. And um, you were again. And you were how old? That um, I was seventeen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was looking for answers, and um, I was. So I made an assumption that it's all in my head. So, um, and there were no uh, therapists at the time, uh, in modern sense. So I and I just went to see a psychiatrist, um, and uh, um, he listened to me. And then asked me to uh, to wait outside of his office. He said, I just need to fill out some papers. Um, 
in, in about five minutes, uh, two nurses showed up, male nurses grabbed me and uh, put me in the ambulance. And I had no idea what was happening, where I was going. Um, what, uh, what happened, um, they took me to a um, mental institution, which is in St. Petersburg and uh, not far from downtown, ironically. It's like uh, uh, surrounded by some of my favorite places that I loved. And, uh, um, and I was scared. I didn't know because nobody explained to me what was happening, why, where I was going, for what reason. Um, so, yeah, I ended up being there for um, many months. I just remember, it's in interesting how I did not really um, keep track of the time. I remember that this happened sometime like in early fall. And when I got out of it, it was end of winter. So, wow. wow. Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, so they didn't. Uh, they did some things um, that I wouldn't say were malicious. Um, they tried to uh, to change me, to make me normal. <laughs> I put it in quotes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, so the last um, the last thing they tried was um, fasting, uh, no food whatsoever. Um, apparently, there's some theory that uh, during fasting the kind of brain rewires itself or puts everything back into uh, into order, so to speak. So, yeah, and uh, um, I fasted for 11 days. And, uh, uh, and then um, at that time, my mom discovered me. So my family didn't know for a long time what happened to me where I disappeared because I had no... Um, contact with outside world for quite a while, and then um, I managed to uh, to charm one of the nurses, and she let me um, call my brother, and um, my brother came for a visit, talked to uh, to the doctor, and he saw me when I was already like in the middle of fasting, so I was very skinny, my blood pressure was uh, very low, I was just kind of holding onto the walls to. To walk, and um, at that time, my mom um, uh, basically gave my brother an ultimatum. She said, "You you'll tell me where he is, um, otherwise, I'll just make a big announcement. It's like my son is lost, and you know, I will get the police involved and everybody." He said, "That's not necessary." So um, he told her where I was. He was just afraid that she would freak out because I, I looked super skinny and uh, um, emaciated. Um, which, which you, of course, you were. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I was. Yeah. And, and so he said, well, mom, probably this is not the best time to go see him there. And she said, there's no bad time for a mother to see her son, to her child. That's what she said. And uh, um, so, yes. And she found me. And it was uh, it was amazing. I remember that day, that morning. Um, there was a courtyard, and uh, my room was on the first floor, and there was a round courtyard. So they just let let her, my mom into the courtyard first, and there was an office across the courtyard where they would have told her exactly what room I was in. But before she even crossed the courtyard, she came up straight to the window, and there were probably like. 
20 windows around, but she just came straight to the window uh, of my room. And I, later she told me, she said, I had, I just knew that's where you were. <laughs> she said, I wasn't looking at different windows. I just came to, to your window right away. So, um, and when, when uh, we actually met in person, the first thing she said, uh, she said, well, you're kind of skinny. So when you get out of here, I'm going to cook a lot and you will not say no to my cooking this time. And that's all she said. <laughs> wow. And, and how did she, because you were not there voluntarily, obviously, mm-hmm. obviously. How, how did she go about springing you? Well, she's, um, she did not go like to, um, uh, to the office. She did not even talk about, did not talk about it with me. It's like, oh, how, it is like how unfair that is. We didn't even talk about it. It was very interesting. It's like just accepting the situation. Um, And that's how she was. Okay, this is the situation right now. (laughs) So when you will get out of it? She didn't even say if. So somehow it's like that that, um, uh, faith that, okay, this is is going to end. And we don't even know when, uh, but it will end. Kind of made me feel, I don't know. Um, it's like, all right, everything will be okay. And I will be okay. We will be okay. Um, so she did go to the, uh, to see the doctor, of course. And the doctor said, um, I cannot get him, uh, I cannot let him out until he actually says, uh, to me that he's changed. And, uh, um, my mom completely got it. It's like, it was two women just colluded. <laughs> you know, in this plot, how to get me out. The doctor was very nice. It was, it was a different doctor from the original one. And um, so, yeah, my mom uh, told me, she said, you know, um, you'll get out. This is what you need to say. <laughs> and that's it. He handed you the script. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then literally the next day um, I was... Um, I was asked to go to see the doctor and she looked at me. So she said, how do you feel now? And she stared in my eyes. (laughs) And it was like amazing connection, that silent connection. It's like, oh yeah, we're doing it. Great. We're like, I felt like we were partners. And I said, oh, I feel complete. I feel completely different. And so I, I of course, I created a big lie. <laughs> and so, yeah, she said, okay, you can go, uh, you, you can go this afternoon, you can go home this afternoon. <laughs> so that's how it uh, all happened. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest Leonid Frolov here on Mojo for the Modern Man. And of course, Leonid and I will be back for next week's episode. We'll hear more of his great stories. Meanwhile, if you want to check out Leonid's work, you can visit him on LinkedIn and, of course, on Facebook. And there are links on the program notes for today's episode. 
And please do visit me on my website, Cirrus Leadership. That Cirrus is in the cloud, C-I-R-R-U-S leadership.com. You can pick up a free gift that I have there. You can sign up for my weekly musings, and you can also visit the podcast page where you'll find every single episode of Mojo for the Modern Man. Speaking of which, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, I look forward to being with you again very soon. Be well, take care.